Hi, I'm Chris Klink, and you're listening to my Writing Table Podcast. Juliet Fay received a bachelor's degree from Boston College and a master's degree from Harvard University. She lives in Massachusetts with her husband and four children. Her latest novel is Catch Us When We Fall. Welcome, Juliet. It is so nice to be here, Chris. Thank you for inviting me. Juliet, I read in your bio how reading a really bad book inspired you. Can you tell us about that book? I cannot because I have vowed myself to secrecy on the, the name of the author and the name of the book because I really don't want to besmirch another author. It just wasn't my thing. I do think it was a really bad book. Honestly, I was reading it and I was like, people don't talk like that. Like that would never happen. This is ridiculous. But I couldn't put it down because it was so bad. I was sort of fascinated by its badness. It didn't really make me think about publishing. It just made me think about all the stories that run in my head all the time. And I I sort of took the premise for that book. And I started thinking up, you know, sort of characters that might pop in there. And then, you know, so I do feel that it is my inspiration. And I will never reveal its title or author. One thing about authors, we have each other's backs. So you read this really bad book. And then what happened? So I started thinking about the premise of that story. And I sort of started with that just because that's how my brain works. Like I see something or I hear about something and I think, oh, you know what that's like. You know, we do what if all the time. It was really the first time I started really writing things down. Like on vacation and I was writing in a notebook and then I opened a document. It was the first time I really took one of the stories in my head and put it down. And I just fell in love with writing. It was like getting to kiss someone you've always had a crush on. You know, I would just, oh. kids would be napping or, you know, whatever. I would just be like, you know, and that book was never published. And I'm glad about that. I always think of it as my practice novel. A lot of authors, as you know, have what we call the book in the drawer, but it really set me up to sort of think about my voice and think about structure and learn. And then the next book was my first published book. Felt very lucky about that. Yeah. So you wrote the second book. Yeah. What was that journey like to get published? Well, I had tried to get the first book published. I had an agent and the agent like completely ignored me. You know, I look back now and I think that's like the definition of a bad agent. But I was so grateful to have an agent. Then for the second book, I actually offered it to that agent. They just like never got back to me. So then I went looking again and I just talked to everybody I could think of who might have somebody in the publishing industry. You know, I sent out a lot of query letters, a lot of no's. And then I ended up talking to the sister of a friend of mine who put me on to an agent. It was actually a very funny story because I emailed her and I said, you know, your friend suggested this. She responded immediately, which they never do, and said, yeah, send me the first 50 pages. So I was like, oh my God. So I sent him. And then the next day she said, I'm liking this. Why don't you send me the whole thing? And then a week later, this is actually pretty funny. I have four kids and they were pretty young at that point. And everybody had a play date. It was like the house was just like overrun with children. And I came in and one of my kids had taken a note saying that this agent had called the house. I was like, what? So I said, I got them all together. I said, listen, I have a really important phone call to make. Just don't bother me. I'm going to go in this room and just leave me alone for 10 minutes. Okay. So I don't know if you have kids, but what kids hear when you say really important thing to do, please don't bother me is bother me as much as humanly possible. So they just kept coming into the room and I was like, oh, thank you so much. Oh, is that wonderful? I'm just like having a phone call of a lifetime and I'm snapping at them going. As a mother. Finally, one of them comes in crying, like he hit me. And I was like, oh, go watch TV. 
this woman, you know, wants to represent me. It was unbelievable. And I walk in and my youngest was not looking at the TV. And I said, what's going on with you? He said, my eyes hurt. And I put my hand on his forehead. He was burning up. And I was happy. Go get yourself some ibuprofen. I'm on the phone. This is a career I might have. You know, not my best parenting moment, but it, it was really the beginning. And she was able to get my first book, Shelter Me, sold pretty quickly. We were off like a day at the races. It did really well. And there's a lot of luck in publishing. I'm always amazed by how much of it is luck. I've never worked in a company or for an industry where luck plays such a huge role of like getting the right person at the right time. I've always felt very lucky. You have to have the talent though for luck to work. Yes, I agree. And it's really important to work hard. And I'm going to just say this. We all know bad books that have hit the bestseller list. So sometimes it's really hard to say it does take hard work and mostly it takes a good product, but occasionally it doesn't even take that. Since you began, you have published six novels and authors report steep learning curves. So knowing what you know now, what would you have done differently early on? Oh, this is such an interesting question. I don't know that I can answer that in part because the industry has changed so much. When I wrote that first book, I wasn't on any social media at all. I mean, my publicist was like, you really need to get on Facebook. And I was like, do I have to? And now, unless you're some massive bestseller, you really can't think about doing it without social media. I think what it really takes is you have to have this brain that can do a lot of things. Like you're running your own business, basically. You have to be thinking about marketing and you have to be thinking about publicity and you have to be thinking about craft and you have to be making friends and going to bookstores. You know, you have to be sort of a salesperson. So it's not just writing the book. I recently said to my publicist, do I have to get on TikTok? She said, well, how do you feel about it? And I said, it kind of makes me lose my will to live. (laughs) And she said, then don't get on it. She said, I think you're okay without TikTok for now. And mostly I enjoy that. I mean, I'm a social person. So I do like Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. And, you know, so feel free to follow me. You know, there's always something new that you should be doing. Also said the industry changed. What did you see from the beginning to now in the things that really affected the way you work? Well, one of the things social media did was sort of have the industry say, hey, we're going to run a social media campaign. Like that would be one of the publicity things they would do. But that means you doing social media. I mean, you know, they're not doing social media for you. I also think that quiet books, are not getting published as much anymore. They have really focused on the blockbusters. It's much like Hollywood. They're looking for those Marvel comics and not as much support for sort of stories about people you might know. It's a tough industry. It it is. Your books are set in a variety of time periods. How do you go about your research? You know what? I'm all over the map on that. With my historical fiction, I research a ton before I even write a word. Like I research for months to just get a sense of like, the time and the subject matter. And, you know, the first one was about the vaudeville scene, a family that becomes vaudeville performers and traveling from town to town, doing these little vaudeville shows. And the second one is about three people trying to get into the silent movie industry in the 1920s. So I had to learn so much about those sort of subcultures, like what was Hollywood like at that time and and that kind of thing. The historical fiction definitely takes a lot more research. Just even like, what did people say to each other? The lingo. What did people not say? There was a lot of things you didn't talk about in the 1920s. With my other book, sometimes I get an idea for a story and I think about it and I think about the theme of the story and I think about the arc and I 
come up with the character names and I think really carefully about a lot of the pieces of the story before I start writing. For Catch Us When We Fall, my next book, that's not what happened. It was a really weird process for me. I was working on something else and I woke up one morning and it just was a sort of a scene in my head. You know, that sort of when you're just waking up and how you're kind of in that like creative zone. And the scene, there were two people at a graveside service and a casket is being lowered into the ground and the woman is bombed and the guy is furious. And I'm lying there thinking like, what's going on here? Like, who is she? Why is she so drunk? Why is he so angry? What's happening? So I was like, oh, hey, hey, don't get distracted. You have this other thing you're working on. Like, don't, you know, don't go off. And I couldn't stop thinking about them. And I thought, okay, I'm just going to write one chapter. It'll clear my head. and I'll go back to the real work. And so I wrote this one chapter and I just like, I don't know, I came up with names, Cass, Scott, I don't know. Like I very sort of quickly just threw, like he was a baseball player and, you know, she's an alcoholic. And so I wrote that first chapter and I was like, I'll put this aside and maybe I'll come back to it. Maybe I won't, maybe I will. Couldn't stop thinking about him. I could not stop thinking about him. And I thought, oh, maybe I'll just write one more chapter. And then I just couldn't let them go. Like they were so intriguing to me. And it was that other book that I never came back to. And then I'm researching as I'm going. Like, I don't know anything about what it's like to be a baseball player. Oh, let me find out. You know, I spent a lot of time at Fenway Park in Boston and went to AA meetings to learn more about that. And so it was like kind of fast and furious. It was a little different. That is so interesting. This is the catch us when we fall. Yeah. She's got a big job to do. You know, getting sober is not easy. Oh, you know, alcoholism is a really tough disease. Yeah. And she has to really sort of summon the depths of her strength. So she finds out she's pregnant and her boyfriend has passed away. And so she's on her own. And she turns to her boyfriend's brother, Scott, who's the baseball player, for help. And he's very wary because he knows her. He knows his, you know, his deceased brother. And they were kind of messy. She doesn't have anywhere to go. She doesn't have any money. You know, she's a mess. And he says, well, you can stay here, but the minute you take a sip, you're out. And I want no drama. I have to focus on my career, my baseball career, no drama. And of course, that's not what happened. Yeah. If there was no drama, that would be the end of the story. You said that about them standing at the cemetery. When I was doing the research for this interview, I pulled up one of the previews and I saw just the first few pages. And what made that interesting was you said that was the image that woke you up. That's what ended up being in the first chapter. Like it hung on. You know, a lot of times we have this idea of how a book can start. We write the book and then we're like, oh, that didn't really start in the right place. And we yeah. ended up cutting the first, you know, 30, 45 pages sure. yeah. to get you yeah. in media res. It was that unusual. I have definitely rewritten beginnings many times. That is really what I wrote. You know, I did some, of course, you did some playing. That's the scene I wrote was the two of them where she's slurring her words and he's like, get in the car. And he's like pissed at her. And more or less, that was it. So it was really kind of interesting how the book just kind of rolled out that way. Sounds like a meaty, meaty book. Is there an audio book as well? Yes, there is an audiobook. I'm yep. a big audiobook fan. I mean, I do read. <laughs> I do read. But <laughs> no, I'm an audiobook fan too. I am a, a mad multitasker. So I like to listen to an audiobook like when I'm gardening or I'm cleaning or I'm, you know, or in the car, absolutely in the car. Although in the past year and a half, I haven't been doing nearly as much driving because I've been staying home. I really like audiobooks. Very different way to get a story. You know, you have that narrator's voice and mostly it's great, but occasionally you've had a narrator, right? Where you're like, oh, 
I think I would like this book, but I don't like that voice. I'll go on Audible and I have to hear like that first little clip before I'll commit. Now, there are a few audiobook narrators like that are my, you know, ride or die. A really good narrator can kind of bring your stories to life. How do you prepare for your writing day? My kids are older now, but when I started writing, my kids were little. And so it was like, oh my gosh, everybody's happy. Let me run off and write, you know, like I don't have time to like light incense and put on mood music. Like I'm just going (laughs) to grab that time whenever I can. And it was, it was really great training for me because I I don't sit around waiting for inspiration. It's like, it's time to sit your butt in the chair and that's what you have to do is just sit down and open the document and look at it. Every writer I know, I won't speak for you, but you know, we have this feeling of like, I don't remember how to do this. Like, how do I do this? Like, I don't know what to do next. Like, I don't know what happens next. And then you sit down and you open the file and something will come to you. And sometimes I have to say to myself, just write a paragraph. All you have to do is write a paragraph and then you can go have some chocolate or whatever. I'm like a puppy in obedience school. I need a treat. And then once I write a paragraph, I get rolling. So I have no real preparation. (laughs) Maybe we need to to invent one of the, you know, they have the things where the puppy does something and it, it dispenses a treat. Yes. I love it. Attach something to our laptop so right. that right. Right. 500 words. Chocolate. <laughs> oh, can you imagine that? A lot more writing. I think we should market that. I really do. Don't tell anybody. You and I. Well, it's you and me. Yeah. That'll be the, the Clink Fay writer treat dispenser. <laughs> How long does it take you from just like, okay, you woke up that morning and, and granted you, you wrote one chapter and then kind of, cause you had this other project going on. Right. If you didn't have another project going on, how long would it take you from first draft to turn it into your editor? I will say it takes me about a year, give or take. Historical fiction takes a little bit longer. It depends. Like I actually have written another book that's not going to come out for a couple of years contract for it. So that's nice. And because it was the pandemic and I wasn't going anywhere or doing anything, I wrote it in seven months, which is the fastest I've ever written anything. But it takes me usually about a year. I clean up a lot as I go. So my first draft is not terrible. What has surprised you most about the writing life? I'm a pretty big extrovert. Like I like people. Most people like people, but it's like I get my energy from and I always worked in an office and I or I worked in an agency or that kind of thing. And then when I started writing, it's a lot of alone time. It's a lot of alone time. And I'm surprised that I like that so much. I think I have shifted kind of more introvert because the writing has really sort of the life of the mind has really just so appealed to me. So how much time I spend alone and how much I enjoy that, that's surprising to me, I would say. What are you writing now? So I just finished this last book in March. And you know, there's a whole sort of ramp up to pub where you're, you know, writing new, you know, I write a newsletter every month. I don't do it when I don't have a book coming out. So it's like usually about a six month period where I'm sending out a newsletter every month and I'm like writing articles for, you know, things or there's been a bit of that. I'm also working on a screenplay actually for one of my books. We'll see what happens. I don't know. It's just, you know, sort of something I'm playing with. I always think I write a book and I think, well, that's it. I'm tapped out. And then something else sparks. I do think that, that it's important to have non-writing time where your brain, I strongly believe in the subconscious, is sort of knitting things together back there. And it needs some time to sort of fill up the well. Um, that's a mixed metaphor if I ever heard one. To, you know, sort of like just let things sort of grow. And then, and then when you sit down to write, there's all this stuff there for you. 
But I think, you know, like I can't write 40 hours a week. I don't know anybody who can because you need time to just like let your brain simmer a little bit, I think. What are you reading now? I just finished Allie Larkin's The People We Keep, one of my favorites that I've read this year. Just knocked me out. Totally loved it. My daughter handed me Glennon Doyle's Untamed. I'm almost oh, finished sister. with that. Untamed is... Great stuff. So my daughter read it and then she gave it to me and I was like, oh my God. I mean, Glennon Doyle is just a fascinating person. And I said to my husband, when I'm done with this, you need to read this because you need to understand what's happening from women. And my husband's a pretty, you know, he's a pretty with it guy. You know, he's very, but I said, this is what's going on inside your daughter's head. You really need to. And he was like, yeah, I'll read it. So I think it's great information for everyone, but especially young women. Writers often talk about how their fellow writers support them through the best and worst of times. Have you found this to be true? 1000%. I am a fortunate enough to be part of a group called Fiction Writers Co-op. It's a 50 writers on Facebook. Most of us have never met. So the idea of the group is that we cross promote each other's books. When somebody's got a book come out, we, you know, we all, you know, and we post about it and everything like that. But then there's this also these private conversations that we have, the private group about, did you hear this? Or how should I handle that? Or I've got, you know, this problem with my agent. And we all are really there for each other. As I've said, probably too many times, it's a tough industry. And to have people you can turn to and say, like, I'm pulling my hair out about this, or this seems really unfair, or, you know, how should I handle this? It's invaluable. And I find other writers, almost all other writers to be very generous, because we're all in the same soup. Occasionally, you come across somebody who's a little competitive and kind of wants to make sure, you know, they're getting the limelight and it's like, well, it is what it is. But I mean, it's kind of steer clear. But mostly, I find other writers to be incredibly warm and helpful. And I feel like I'm good friends with these people, most of whom I have never even spoken to, much less met. But we know each other. It's very cool. So how did you find this group? Somebody was in it right in the beginning when they were sort of putting it together. I guess my name came up. And now we keep it to 50 people because we find otherwise it's too much. And we try to have, you know, men, women, people of color, but, you know, like lots of different stuff going on. So it's not just like we're all, you know, middle-aged white romance writers or whatever, (laughs) but a variety in the group. Yeah. In your view, what is good writing? Good writing is a story that engages you. And that's really, I think, all it takes. There are some writers that I love that are considered really literary fiction. There are some writers that I love that are, you know, much more sort of fast paced. And, you know, I think what and and I feel strongly about this in terms of kids books, it needs to be something that makes a kid want to read. I mean, I think that's what Harry Potter did for a whole generation of kids is it made them want to read. You know, when my daughter read the Twilight books, and there was a lot of poo-pooing about Twilight, you know, it's not great literature. All these kids were reading instead of doing the million other things they could have been doing, most which involved technology. That's a good book to me. If you are engaging your readers, that's it. What is the best writing advice you've received? The best writing advice is really about writing what you want to write, write what's in your heart, write the voice you want to write in. That's your voice. I think the best books are written by people who feel passionate about their stories, that they're not trying to write to the market, which almost never works anyway, and that they're not trying to write in a, you know, they're not trying to write for other people, write for yourself, entertain yourself. That will bring out the best in you and will create the best reading experience for your readers. 
Well, this has been so much fun. Thank yeah, thank you so much for inviting me. I enjoyed talking with you. To learn more about Juliet and her books, visit julietfay.com. Music by Pavel Uden and photography by Casey Meineke. Sound editing by Podcast Engineers. If you like what you're hearing, hit the subscribe button and consider leaving a review. 